0: Well, good morning, good to see you all here and none of you asleep as of yet, so we want to be able to check that box off this morning, especially uh, you teenage gentlemen the way back there. Yeah, I'm looking at you. Thank you, Eli, appreciate it. Um, I'm glad that you are all here. Thank you, those of you joining us online, appreciate uh, you coming together as the body and as we continue throughout Uh, what's taking place in our world, we need that encouragement from one another, that strength that we gather from gathering together to honor God and to worship Him. And so we're only two weeks away from the finishing of the Gospel According to Mark in the series of Following the Servant, and we are in chapter 15 this morning. If you want to turn over Mark 15, verses 40 through 47. I don't know if you are someone that enjoys watching commercials Uh, On TV, I am not someone that enjoys watching commercials. In fact, I don't even like listening to commercials on TV. Oftentimes, I'll mute it uh, while we're waiting for the commercials to get over. But the neat thing about technology these days is they have ways of kind of bypassing commercials. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced, I don't uh, have cable currently, but I have had cable. And uh, one time when I had cable, it came with a DVR recorder, right? That's probably redundant DVR, and that's... Yeah, okay, so a recorder that, you know, and some of you have probably experienced recording shows, maybe a football game, basketball game, baseball, something like that. And I just love the DVR because you can go back and watch what you recorded, but you don't have to watch all the commercials. You can just fast-forward through them, and and you get through the program on some football games or whatever lots quicker. And I think maybe this morning as Christians, maybe you've never thought of it this way, but when it comes to the burial of Jesus, do we fast-forward through that part of the story? Because I think we really enjoy thinking through the meaning and the effects of the cross and and looking at the cross, and and then we think about the wonder and the miracle that took place in the resurrection. But the burial? There's nothing there, is there? Uh, Let's just fast forward through that and and, and get moving. Let's fast forward from the cross to the empty tomb. And I just want to say, whoa, let's, let's wait a minute here. Not so fast. I want us to take the time this morning to look at the burial of Jesus' body. And when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, he, he wrote this. He summarized his gospel message in th- into three points. He wrote, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And so this morning, if, if we just fast forward through the burial, and we look at this First Corinthians passage where Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ was raised from the dead, and, and we just ignore the burial, then we're missing one third of the gospel message that Paul was sharing to the world. And so let's read from Mark and how he describes the burial of Jesus in Mark 15, verses 40 through 47. If you're willing and able this morning, will you stand with me? turning to Mark chapter 15, verses 40 through 47. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome, In Galilee, th- these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, may you continue to, to teach us. God, may we be open in our hearts and our minds that we would have a heart and mind check this morning to to be open to your Holy Spirit's direction in our lives, what we need to hear from your word this morning. And so, God, we, th- we're, we are grateful and thankful for your word. You are holy. You are magnificent. You are righteous, God, and we come into your throne room with reverent fear and trembling before you because you are a great and awesome God. And so may we be willing to hear your words spoken into our lives this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title of today's message is Buried in a Borrowed Tomb. Buried in a Borrowed Tomb. In the late 1800s, there was a Presbyterian pastor named J. Wilbur Chapman. He was also a writer uh, writer of music and a writer in general, and he wrote a famous hymn, that many grew up singing. Maybe you've heard this song. It was entitled One Day. It's on page 170 in your hymnals. If you want to turn over there, that's I think it's the red book in your, in your uh, pews there. But if you want to turn over there, we're going to sing in just a moment. Uh, we're going to do a uh, little karaoke this morning. Uh, we're going to sing just the chorus of One Day. It's on page 170. It tells the whole story of Jesus in five verses. And a few years ago, Casting Crowns revised the song as Glorious Day. And again, to me, as you read these words from this song one day, the chorus is one of the best summaries of the gospel truth. And uh, again, we're just going to do a little uh, interesting karaoke this morning. We'll see how it goes. If you know the song, if you want to mumble along or sing it with me, uh, you can do that. Uh, And it goes like this. Living, he loved me, dying, he saved me, buried, he carried my sins far away, rising, he justified freely forever, one day he's coming, oh, glorious day and i look forward to that day it's going to be a glorious day and and that that chorus just describes what jesus has done for us living he loved me dying he saved me buried he carried my sins far away rising he justified freely forever One day he's coming, oh glorious day. And in this message, we're going to look at three truths about the burial of Jesus. And then we'll kind of conclude with one takeaway truth that I want us to apply in our lives. And so the first truth, if you're taking notes, is this. Jesus' burial was conducted by two unlikely undertakers. And we don't read that here in Mark's account, but we do read that in John's account. And so as we look at different accounts, as we'll look at Matthew as well, but it's Jesus' burial was conducted by two unlikely undertakers. And and you think about this, you think about Jesus on the cross, and and who would be the ones that would, in our minds, go and and get Jesus' body down? Well, You might think maybe the Romans or, in my mind, I'm thinking his disciples, his closest friends. And yet, what were they doing? They were hiding. They were in fearful hiding. But Joseph of Arimathea, and later on we're going to read Nicodemus, are the two unlikely undertakers who remove the body of Jesus from the cross, prepare the corpse, and carry it into the tomb. Here's a picture. This is the Italian master Caravaggio who has captured this scene in his painting, The Entombment of Christ, which is in the Vatican Museum. And uh, in this picture here, you have Mary, mother of James, is seen lifting her hands in grief. A young Mary Magdalene has her head bowed, weeping into a scarf. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is depicted as an older woman wearing the clothes of a nun, which is a little bit of an artistic license there. And then Joseph has grabbed the legs, and Nicodemus is lifting the torso with his hand, touching the wound in Jesus' side. And there's a sense of urgency as they're racing to beat sunset, which is when the Passover Sabbath began. Now if you look at this painting, obviously an artist has the free will to kind of clean up and sanitize a scene like this. But imagine for a moment what really must have taken place with Jesus there on the cross. And the gruesome task that it was for these gentlemen to take him down and to prepare Jesus' body. If you think, they, they most likely had to, first of all, climb up and either remove the, the, the spikes, the nails, or remove Jesus' hands and feet from the spikes that were embedded in the cross. And they had to lower his mangled body. Jesus' back has been ripped to pieces by the whip. And the water and and blood had flowed from the wound in his side. And they had to remove the razor-sharp crown of thorns from his head, trying to be careful not to get cut themselves, but who knows, possibly cutting their own hands, mixing their blood, possibly with Jesus' blood. And I just shudder when I think about the job that they faced To prepare Jesus' body. And as we look at these two unlikely undertakers, what can we learn? What can we learn from their lives? And if you look first at Joseph, he had the courage to ask for the corpse of Jesus. He said he went boldly to Pilate. And in just a moment, we're going to see that that wasn't necessarily part of where Joseph was at originally in his relationship with Jesus In the gospel, according to Matthew, it says in Matthew 27, verse 57, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. And it's interesting, Matthew adds three important details that we don't find in Mark. Mark. First, Joseph was a rich man. Second, it was Joseph's tomb where he, was, where he placed the body of Jesus. And most importantly, Matthew tells us Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. Now, if you turn over to John chapter 19, John chapter 19 gives us an account here as well. 19 in verse 38 tells us that Joseph was a secret believer because he feared the jews and so it's interesting to think about here's joseph a secret believer because he feared the jews and how much courage it must have taken for him to boldly go to pilate and ask pilate for Jesus' body to identify himself as a friend of jesus and maybe this morning you consider yourself maybe kind of a, a secret follower of Jesus as well. You're not really open with it. You kind of keep it to yourself. You're not, you're not boisterous. You're not outgoing. You're more of an introvert. So it's kind of a, a secret thing that you kind of just, it's your personal thing. And yet here is Joseph and he knew that he needed to stand up for his friend in this moment. And, and the truth is is that when it comes to being a quote unquote secret believer, that, that's really not a thing, okay? And, and here's why either the secret will destroy your belief, or the belief will destroy the secret. And, and I'm it's I'm I'm so happy in these verses to see a, a life that like Joseph's, that he was a secret believer, but he was willing to come and be bold before Pilate. And it was neat to see Joseph destroy that secret in his own life as he spoke up for Christ. And this morning, we have to be willing to do the same. Are we willing to speak up for Jesus? Are we willing to not hold that in, that, that we have a faith, that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ We have to be willing to stand for the truth of God's word no matter who might stand against us. And then you have Nicodemus. And again, we don't read that in Mark's account, but in John 19, we're going to see this, where Nicodemus is is that man from chapter 3 of John that came to Jesus in the dark at night. And here he comes out into the light. And so John 19, verse 39 through 40 tells us he was accompanied by Nicodemus, speaking about Joseph, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. So you have Nicodemus who accompanies Joseph. Nicodemus is the man who earlier visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen this was an in, in, cor- in accordance with the jewish burial custom john 19:39 through 40 and i've mentioned it already but again if you look back to john chapter 3 we learn that nicodemus was a member of the sanhedrin as well one of the, the religious leaders of this time and if you're to shorten his name down to nick nick came to jesus at night Because he didn't want anyone to see him with Jesus. And one preacher wrote that it was the first Nick at night. Lisa, so-so, is that an iffy joke there? All right. The first Nick at night. Nicodemus was a very religious man, but Jesus said in order for a person to see the kingdom of heaven, they must be born of water and be born of the Spirit. In John 3, again, it's talking about the reality that you need to be born again. Again, not physically born again, but spiritually born again. And apparently, Nicodemus believed Jesus. He heard that, and he believed it, because like Joseph, he came into the light to show his love for Jesus. And yet, when you choose to follow Jesus... There's always going to be a cost, isn't there? There's always going to be a cost. And we see that in Joseph and Nicodemus' life. Joseph and Nicodemus had a lot to lose by claiming the body of Jesus. If you think about it, by identifying with Jesus, they would be expelled from the Sanhedrin. Many of their old Jewish friends would reject them because of their association with Jesus. And by touching the corpse of Jesus, Jesus' dead body, they themselves were rendered then ceremonially unclean. And they would be ceremonially unclean for seven days, which meant for them that they wouldn't be able to partake in the Passover celebrations. But they had something better than a holy day. They lovingly handled the real Passover lamb. You think about that. They handled the real Passover lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So after washing the body, they wrapped it in the strips of cloth soaked in the gummy spices Then taking the single sheet, they covered his body and carried it into the tomb. And not only were they unlikely undertakers that day, but they also became pallbearers of the Prince of Peace. You think about what an interesting funeral service. There's no sermon, there's no singing, hymns, or eulogy. But in three days... We know that a funeral service would have been premature, amen? And so that first truth, that there was two unlikely undertakers that buried Jesus. The second truth about Jesus' burials was prophesied in the Old Testament. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time uh, on this point, but every aspect of the death of Jesus was prophesied in the Old Testament. Isaiah predicted Jesus would pour out his life unto death and would be numbered with the transgressors. And, and what that means is that he would be crucified with wicked men, which we know to be true. And as I read through sermons and commentaries preparing for this message, I ran a, across an amazing Prophecy that in some ways seems like it was a contradiction, and yet it's not. But before we read that, I want us to sort of think through kind of what's taking place with Jesus and, and how he was assigned to death as a wicked criminal. That's, that's his scenario right now. We look him, at him as our savior, but the people at that time looked at him as a wicked criminal. And do you know what happened to the bodies? Of those the Romans crucified, oftentimes, usually, the bodies would be left up there for days on end. And then they were removed and disposed of in a common burial site for criminals. That's where Jesus' body should have ended up. But a rich man, Joseph, stepped in and changed the assigned burial place. And that's interesting to me because in Isaiah 53, verse 9, we find Isaiah's prophecy that says this, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And and I just... Get goosebumps reading that to think about Isaiah writing this prophecy about Jesus who should have ended up in a criminal's graveyard, and yet here a rich man came, and Jesus ends up in a borrowed tomb. Prophecy is amazing to me to think about how God intertwines it all throughout Scripture. The third truth is Jesus' burial symbolized the removal of our sins? John gives us a very important detail about the location of the tomb. In John chapter 19, verse 41, He says, At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, and if you see this picture on the screen, uh, this is a, a photo there uh, in Jerusalem. And uh, again, we know, you know, the Golgotha was the, the place of the skull. Okay, and in this picture, you can probably picture and see kind of an outline there of a skull. And so, a lot of people believe that that this is the location of this. Uh, the crucifixion, and, the, and there's a garden close by, and it's located within 100 feet of a first-century vineyard that contained a cistern capable of storing 200,000 gallons of water. And then less than 100 feet from that underground cistern is a tomb that has been cut into the limestone cliff. And it had to be a rich man's tomb, and the reason for that is because it had three chambers— And many believe that this is the tomb where Jesus was laid. And whether that is or not, I don't know for sure. I haven't been there. I don't know all the details. But the tomb was in a garden, it says here in John. And so what's the importance of that? What's the importance of the tomb being in a garden? And I want us to think back to the beginning in Genesis, to the fall of mankind. You see, human sin... Where did it begin? In a garden. And guess where human sin was buried? In a garden. In the New Testament, Jesus is often compared to Adam. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 17, "For if by the trespass or sin of the one man, talking about Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That's the hope that we have as Christians. That we know where we're going to spend eternity because in Christ we have that promise. And so our human story began in a garden. Adam and Eve were placed in a perfect garden to enjoy perfect fellowship with their creator. In all reality, it was paradise in every way. But when sin broke that fellowship, the the human story was renamed paradise lost. And when Jesus entered the tomb, he bore our sins in his body, and when he came out of the tomb, our sins were gone forever. Amen? I mean, it's like Easter all over again. It's like Easter in August. We've got to start something new here. Easter in August. And, and you have what's taking place with this burial. It's so important for Jesus to have fully died. And we go back to last week, we talked about in Leviticus 16, verse 21 and 22, this idea of the scapegoat, the the Jewish scapegoat concept. And the goat would be led so far away outside the city that there was no way it could ever return. It would be led to a place of desolation and desertion. And when Jesus died on the cross, all our sins were transferred to him And when he entered the tomb, he was taking them far away. In Psalm 103, verse 12, we read this last week as well, I believe, if my memory serves me correct. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins. And as we touched on this last week, I'm so grateful to think about this again, this aren't you grateful that that God didn't say in his in his word that as far as the north is from the south and you're like well what's the big deal north south east west and yet if you were to take a globe which I thought about bringing today but you can imagine with me this morning if you go to the equator and you begin to go north eventually you'll start to go what south so you can only go north so far but when it comes to going east from the west If you go to that same equator and you start going around the earth to the east, do you ever go west? No, as far as the east. I mean, it's just never ending as far as the east is from the west. And this idea of of our sin being widened away from us, where we are and our sin is, it's being widened, that gap. It's because of what Jesus has done. And so what's the takeaway this morning? What what can we apply in our lives? And it's this, from these verses this morning, this is what I want to share, is that when we are baptized, we identify with Jesus. Romans 6, verse 4, Paul wrote, We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's that's for anyone who chooses to believe, to follow Scripture, to be obedient to His Word. Baptism, Baptism is a spiritual burial of yourself, and as you come out of the water, a spiritual rebirth takes place. And from the beginning of the church in Acts, baptism was always by immersion, which means to be submerged under water, and by believers, those who had be- ability to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And baptism is part of how God instructs us to receive the free gift of grace. It's all throughout Scripture. And when you are baptized, you are clothed with Christ. Galatians three twenty seven. You identify with Jesus through baptism. You identify with His burial. You are saying that it's no longer you that lives, but it's Christ living through you. And so if you have been baptized by immersion as a profession of your faith in Christ, I want you to visualize your sins. Every mistake that you've ever made in the past, and maybe even sins that will take place in the future. And I want you to imagine them all being buried with Christ. Buried with Christ. And when you came out Of the water, it was a beautiful picture of the new life that you have in Christ. Scripture says that your sins are washed away, that you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, as the praise team comes this morning, if you have not yet followed Christ in baptism, this is the appeal to you this morning. Are you willing to die to your old self and be raised as a new creation? Are you willing to be buried in baptism today in order to clothe yourself with Christ, receiving the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit is convicting you this morning, if He's tugging on your heart, if he's saying, What are you waiting for? Today is the day. Then I would encourage you, please don't wait. I don't know where that fire engine's going. It may be going to a fire, it may be going to someone's home where someone had a heart attack. I don't know where emergency vehicles are heading to in this moment. But our life is so short. None of us know how much time we have. And so if you are outside of Christ this morning, if you've never made a decision to surrender your life over to Him, then today is that day. Will you stand with us as we sing?